Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we're here with a much-anticipated film. The spelunking horror movie that I was so fucking excited for us to cover. It's in my top five. It's one of my favorites. 2005's The Descent. This is a badass movie. I'm just going to jump right into it with the ladies. And we have a lot of ladies and only ladies. I love it. Well, except for one guy for two seconds. But we don't like him. No, we don't. So we'll start with Sarah Carter, played by Shauna MacDonald. She is a Scottish actress, best known for her role in this movie, for which she was nominated for a Saturn Award. We now love the Saturn Awards. We love the Saturn Awards. And she also starred in the TV series Spooks and The Descent 2. Then we have Juno Kaplan, who is played by Natalie Mendoza. Natalie is an Australian actress best known for her role as one of the main characters in a British drama series, Hotel Babylon, and also her role in this franchise. Then we have Mayanna Buring as Sam Vernet. She's a Swedish actress, also known for her roles in Kill List, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1 and Part 2, Ripper Street, and The Witcher, which I recognized her from The Witcher, which is kind of cool, which is a Netflix series. Then we have Saskia Mulder as Rebecca Vernet, which I am realizing just now that Rebecca and Sam's characters seem to be sisters. They have the same last name. Saskia is a Dutch film and television actress. Aside from this movie, she's known for her role in The Beach, which is a 2000s action drama starring Tilda Swinton and Leo DiCaprio that I suddenly want to see. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, what a cast. I've never heard of this movie, but Saskia's in it and I want to see it. Next, we have Alex Reed as Beth O'Brien. She is a lovely character. We miss her. We miss her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Alex, she is a British actress, also known for her role as Mercer in Arachnid 2001. Have you seen that before? I haven't. I don't think that's a level I'm ever going to get to. The spiders? Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and finally, last but certainly not least, we have Nora Jane Noon as Holly Mills. Nora Jane is an Irish actress. In 2020, the Irish Times ranked her 47th on its list of the greatest Irish film actors of all time. Again, this is Wikipedia. I did not cross-check this information, <laughs> but I want to believe it's true. And this part, as Holly, is her breakthrough role, which earned her an Irish Film and Television Academy Award nomination. Holly is very memorable as a character. <laughs> so memorable. And then, of course, the film itself is directed by Neil Marshall. He has also directed the films Doomsday 2008, Centurion 2010, Hellboy 2018, and a few others, as well as a few episodes of Game of Thrones. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So what a cast. Diving into the pre-plot trivia, I'm going to start with a little factoid that I love. The jokey production name given during filming for this movie was Chicks with Pigs. <laughs> And you know, I think this is the first movie that I even saw a pickaxe as a weapon. Definitely not the last, but I'm happy it's your first. It's a good representation of it, I think. Yeah, but I feel like pickaxes are like, that's a weapon that I feel like you hear about, you know about. But yeah, I mean, as my first encounter, episode 76. We're getting there. Yeah, we are getting there. So next, the crawlers, which we will talk about soon, were designed to resemble Nosferatu from the film Nosferatu from 1922. And I did look up a picture of this guy, and yeah, I could see it. He's a creepy crawling man. He is, but also I think anybody who looks up his picture would recognize Nosferatu. But it's probably sad because their depiction or their interpretation of Nosferatu might come from Spongebob. Do you remember that? 
No, I don't think I fully know. There's literally just like a joke where they blame something on Nosferatu and it cuts to like a picture of Nosferatu. (laughs) Wait, seriously? Yes, it's like a joke in Spongebob. We can look this up later. I love popular culture keeping not so popular culture alive. I also love the connections to Spongebob because we talked about the Alaskan bullworm Uh in Krampus. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. Amazing. Spongebob is one of those things. It ruined us as a generation. Yeah, or did it? (laughs) So the crawlers also had huge white eyes to begin with, just like Nosferatu. But then makeup designers did away with that idea because they thought they looked too silly. So the filmmakers considered it too dangerous to film in an actual cave system. It would have been far too time consuming. So they opted to build one instead, which is crazy. They built 21 separate cave sets. And one of the crevices built for the film was so narrow and slippery that the female cast dubbed it the vagina. I was thinking about that a lot. This movie is very wet and drippy. Caves crevices, vaginas. Yes, everything is a vagina. And there's also themes kind of of motherhood in here. Perhaps like even at the end, Sarah getting rebirthed. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. The appearance of the creatures was kept secret from the cast members until the first scene in which they encountered them was filmed. When the cast were finally filming the scene where the girls encountered the crawlers, the girls were genuinely scared and screamed the building down, running off set and laughing. Which I love that little fact because I'm picturing them screaming on camera, reacting genuinely, and then just leaving Leaving. and laughing together. I love picturing these actresses like laughing together and sharing these memories. It is also helpful to think of them having fun in this filming process while I'm watching a deeply disturbing movie. It's like a little bit cathartic. Especially because when you were talking about where they all come from, they're all from different areas of the world. Yeah. So like this must have been just such like a really cool bonding experience for all of them. Like summer camp, but just in a cave. Yes. Cave summer camp. So Neil Marshall, director, cited the films The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, The Thing, 1982, and Deliverance, 1972, as influences in establishing tension in the film. The director elaborated, quote, We really wanted to ramp up the tension slowly, unlike all the American horror films you see now. They take it up to 11 in the first few minutes and then simply can't keep it up. We wanted to show all these terrible things in the cave. Dark, drowning, claustrophobia. Then, when it couldn't get any worse make it worse. I was really thinking about that too because I was paying attention to how long it took the crawlers to show up and it's literally like 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Like there's a lot of shit that happens before the crawlers even show up. I kind of appreciate that too because the movie starts with a very tragic event and I think the movie is honestly able to exist on the fumes of that tragedy so well for so long before they even need to bring the crawlers in. I totally agree with you. So let's get into it. All right. So we open with a whitewater rafting montage. We have three lady friends, Sarah, Juno, and Beth, going down the rapids together. This is beginning my, oh, this is supposed to be fun for you arc, because (laughs) Juno is a thrill seeker, and that's her whole personality. And all I know is I would hate to be friends with Juno if this is the shit that she finds fun. I'm indoorsy. I'm not outdoorsy. I'll tell you the moment I knew June and I could never be friends when we get there. So they get to the bottom of the river. There is a man and his daughter waiting at the end. We come to find out that this is Sarah's husband, Paul, and her daughter, Jessica. 
Sarah and Jessica embrace, and immediately we're getting weird vibes between Juno and Paul. Paul is helping Juno take off her helmet, helping her out of the water because she had like fallen into the water at one point. And we see that Juno is like looking at Paul a little too long, and Paul's maybe looking a little uneasy. And Beth is noticing this tension. So we're like, okay, what the fuck is going on? But I will say, the first time I watched this movie, I did not notice this. I think it's intercut enough with showing how pure the relationship is between. Sarah and Jessica that it you know is telling us a little something but I didn't miss it the first time. Beth and Juno wave the family of three on saying we will stay here get the raft together and we'll meet you back at the hotel you guys can drive on ahead of us. So while Paul, Sarah, and daughter Jessica are in the car driving back to the hotel, Sarah confronts Paul about seeming a little distant. He does seem a little distant. He is in the middle of denying that he is not being distant, but we can see in a POV shot that he is distracted and swerving slowly into the next lane where he gets in a head-on collision with some kind of vehicle. What looked to be maybe like copper pipes that were strapped onto the roof continue to lurch forward, strike through the windshield of Paul and Sarah's car, impaling Paul and little Jessica in the back seat, leaving Sarah the only survivor. Yes, this is Final Destination 2 for all of us who are aware. Literally, when people say they won't drive behind a truck with pipes on it, they're going to get Final Destination. Like everybody's scared of that. That kill originated in that movie. Oh, really? I don't know if it originated in that movie, but it's most broadcasted or well-known for that movie. So I was like, oh yeah, they get Final Destination. It fucking sucks. It's like a car accident is bad enough. But to be killed in that way. They all would have walked away. You know, they were probably going like 35 miles an hour. But the pipes, Mm -hmm. you can't survive that. It's awful. So then we get a sinister slow moving shot on Jessica blowing out a birthday cake in the darkness. And we're like, what is going on? But we realize this is a dream that Sarah is having as she wakes up in the hospital. She unattaches herself from all of her wires. I said she goes running down a murder mystery party hallway. And I don't know if this is part of her nightmare because like the lights just keep turning out as she's like running down the hallway looking for Jessica. But she instead runs into the arms of Beth sobbing and Beth is telling her, I'm so sorry, she's gone. Juno's looking on very heartbroken. And then we have the title card. And before we move on, I do want to say, if you haven't played Murder Trivia Party, as Shay referenced, by Jackbox Games, you should definitely play it because it's very fun and exciting. And once you play it, you'll know exactly what this hallway looks like. (laughs) Yes. Trivia Party, not Mystery Party. My bad. So we're cut to one year later in the Appalachian Mountains. Beth is driving Sarah through the state park on the way to some sort of gathering hosted by Juno is what we're surmising. Beth is telling Sarah, listen, we don't have to go. We can stay home, get drunk. We don't have to do this. But Sarah doesn't want to disappoint Juno, who I'm assuming we can blame for all these thrill-seeking adventures. It seems like Juno is the one that likes to orchestrate these types of things. But Beth instead makes a dig that Juno just could have stayed in Scotland a little longer this time last year. So we're like, oop, what's this tension happening? Mm. So they finally arrive at the cabin and meet up with the other ladies. So of course, Juno is there, as mentioned. And we also meet Sam, Rebecca, and Holly. Holly is the new girl, and I love that her character is kind of used to introduce everybody. Right. (laughs) But it looks like Holly is Juno's protege. That's what they say. And I don't know what their relationship is because Holly is bossed around by Juno a lot. But I don't know if it's like, is this your apprentice? Like, are you just friends? Is she just younger than you? But Holly does seem to respect Juno a lot. But yeah, she is part of this girl's weekend where they're going to be going spelunking. 
So everyone introduces themselves and does a toast. They all get drunk, which I love. At one point, everyone is talking about, you know, do you have a man? Do you have a man? Do you have a man? Somebody brings up children at one point and we can see that it hits a really sore spot with Sarah, of course, because of her tragedy that she's experienced a year prior. Holly is being very dismissive of where they're going to be going spelunking. They're like, oh, boring caverns. We're like, boring caverns. Like, this is so, like, I've done so much worse when I base jumped off this and whatever. Like, she, you could tell she is trying to flirt with Sam, but also trying to say, like, oh, come on. Like, this is boring. Kind of planting some seeds that her and Juno think that this little thing is beneath them and their abilities. They end up having a toast to Paul when Sarah's like, oh, you know, you have to love each day and I'm so excited that we're here, all this kind of stuff. That is very quickly followed by a nightmare that Sarah has. She goes and stands up and looks out the window after she can't sleep. Elise looks very upset. This was very scary for me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about this. I'm like, ooh, Elise is going to hate this. Um, I did not know this was going to happen. In her nightmare, she's looking out the window. We don't know it's her nightmare because it's one of those motherfucking tricks where it looks like the person wakes up from their nightmare and goes to stand in front of the window to ponder. But Sarah's still in her dream. She's like, it's Inception. She was in layer three. Now she's in layer two. We're Nightmare on Elm Streeting it through yes. a little bit. Yeah. Yes. And as she's standing by the window in layer two, the pipes come through the window and impale her and wake her up back into consciousness. Yeah, she's having a rough time and it has a rougher time the next morning when Juno goes around and starts waking everyone up and says, we need to leave by seven. So what time is it? This is when I knew. <laughs> this is when you knew. <laughs> Juno is like up jogging. And look, look, look. I know that there are people who like to get in their exercise on vacation or even girls trips, but they are about to spelunk. <laughs> you know, that's enough physical activity. You don't need to get in your morning jog on top of it. Then she comes in yelling at everybody to leave by seven and everyone is hungover, which I appreciate. I would be one of those people. You know what? I wouldn't even be here. I'm I would, sorry. That's the thing. I wouldn't be on this vacation. <laughs> I would not be here. I'm not going. Forget it. I'm not going. I'm hitting, <laughs> hitting decline on the Evite. I'm not showing up. I won't be there. I wouldn't even be friends with Juno because you know what? <laughs> to me, she doesn't make any goddamn sense. She to doesn't. me, she is not risk averse enough. And obviously we find her to be very selfish later on. I immediately didn't like Juno, and I'm like, mm, I was right. I mean, she has some cool moments. She does. She's badass. She is. She's and powerful. Look, she, look, say I was here. <laughs> say I was here, and I was faced with the same challenges that Juno was faced with in the caves that we will get to. I would die. I would die first. I would die <laughs> immediately. I wouldn't even meet the crawlers before I died. I would just fall. Yeah. Or just stand there and just combust because I would be scared. Like I, I don't think you'd be do able it. to stay quiet. I think you would yes. just be racking with sobs. Yes, absolutely. I know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> they get in the car. They load up. There's more conversations of how the caves are going to are safe, which makes us know that they are not safe. Oh, God. They arrive at the site that they're going to be now hiking to get to the caves. I'm like, one activity at a time. But Juno, in her pride, leaves the guidebook in the car as the hike starts. This is where I start really liking Beth. Because she has a there are rules statement. Mm -hmm. And she's like, listen, you have to have a flight plan and stick to it. And number two, you don't wander off in the dark. Otherwise, you could have panic attacks, hallucinations, paranoia, and visual and oral degeneration. 
it's very interesting that it's primed this way because the entire time they're kind of gaslighting Sarah being like, you're not seeing anything. So it's like cool that she's saying that these things are par for the course just for being underground. And then when things get serious, like it's too late for them to really realize it. Right before the there are rules moment, there's a really, really funny moment between Holly and Sam. Sam is like fiddling with this child looking watch on her wrist. Mm. She sees Holly looking at it and responds, my boyfriend gave it to me. It's sentimental. And Holly goes, it's fucking mental. If any man gave that to me, I'd dump him on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's correct, Holly. It is is an ugly watch. It's so ugly. It looks like it's something a five-year-old would wear, which honestly, it probably is a child's watch. And the boyfriend just didn't know and got it for Sam because he doesn't know. It looks like something out of fucking Kim Possible. It's like beep, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> like it's just like you don't know what it's doing. It yeah. just looks like it's industrial for no reason. And this is one of my favorite lines of the movie. Next. <laughs> on the way of getting to where they're going, a shit ton of crows fly off. So we already That's... know that. With the moose? Oh, the moose. Yes, they run. Yes, and then there's bats. Yes. There's a lot of ominous winged creatures. God, they packed them in there. They really packed them in there. All of the ominous shit was happening. But they get to the mouth of the cave, and Beth's like, nope, I'm an English teacher. I'm not fucking Tomb Raider. (laughs) Elise. Um, yes. But Beth is so much cooler than me. Also, the cave entrance is completely vertical. Yeah. It's not like just a mouth of a cave that you walk into all easy breezy. They have to all repel a hundred yards. At least a hundred yards. <laughs> into the inside of this cave. It is terrifying. So they all repel down. Holly's very reckless repelling down. I don't even think she hits her brake once. No. She just like fucking super spies it down there. But they're looking around in the wonder of the caves. And is it Sarah who sees like a fucking bloody handprint on the wall? I think so. I'm like, fucking bye. That's all I need to see. Yeah, dude. Ugh, red flags. I was like, are we back in Alien with all this rain? There's a lot of mysterious rain coming from places we don't know where it's coming from. Yes. Very wet. Yes. And then we get the bat scare. Yes, here's the bat scare. Sarah's looking in a cavern and a bunch of bats fly out and it's a big spook. And then Holly's like, <laughs> one bot, two bots, 50 <laughs> bots. <laughs> I laugh really hard. <laughs> yeah, she, oh my God, she has so many funny lines. She's so fucking funny. But it's interesting. Her character is interesting because even though she's so fucking funny, she is really reckless. So she's simultaneously making you laugh, but also making you feel, at least me, feel really nervous at the same time. She's repelling down her rope super fast. She's like running around. She doesn't have a care in the world about this cave system she's in. And I love what you said earlier that having her there is such good writing in the sense that it allows other characters to give her context because she's like, oh, like what's her fucking deal? And everyone's like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah. The part, there's a part coming up. Sarah gets upset and she's barely like two feet away when Holly's like, what's her problem? Exactly. And I was watching this with Riley and he's like, maybe don't whisper about your friends in a cave yeah. because caves, the sound just reverberates everywhere. Yeah. So funny. And it allows other characters to pull her aside and be like, she's been through shit. You know mm. what I mean? They light a flare down to explore some of the caves. It's lit in red. I like loved how this movie was lit to or lack of lighting too, but there's some green, there's some red. It's very spooky. And Sarah hears Jessica giggling. <sighs> and this starts happening a couple times, but she hears Jessica giggling, which causes her to go off exploring, looking for things. There's a Juno jump scare. There's a lot of Juno jump scares in this movie as well. They're exploring. They stop for a snack as Holly continues documenting everything in very 2000s fashion. She has a camcorder that she's carrying around. 
she's all excited because it has like an infrared lens on it, I guess, so that they can see in the dark. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of used as a framing device for some shots later on that becomes very exciting. Sarah is tired of everybody checking in on her because Juno's like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, Juno, I won't break. I'm like tired of everyone treating me like we're going to break. But Juno then tries apologizing for dipping out pretty much right after the accident in Scotland a year ago. She's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't stay longer. I'm here for you now. But you could tell this apology is a little hollow and Sarah isn't really buying it. So she said she's going to go off for a walk to find the next passage. And this is the moment where Holly is like, what's her problem? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you can hear the echoes, what's her problem? You know, just, but you might as well. They're might there. as well, yeah. So meanwhile, Sarah does find the next tiny, tiny tunnel. The tunnel is Bella Hadid. It is the tiniest tunnel, but Sarah's like, here's the tunnel. Or maybe Sarah doesn't find it, but somebody finds it. Maybe it's Holly? No, Sarah finds it, but Becca says, this doesn't look right. This wasn't in the book. And Juno's like, no, it's right. Okay, yes. So they all take turns squeezing their way through this little passage. This is one of those moments I think the movie makes us sit and wait. Like we really watch all six women go through this tiny, tiny hole. It's a very long scene. Sarah's the last to go through and she gets stuck. She starts having a panic attack, rightfully so. But Beth doesn't think twice. She goes back in through the hole from the other side and starts talking to Sarah. She's such a good friend. She is such a good friend. Something I really appreciate about Beth is that she hits every category, right? She gives a little bit of tough love. She gives a little bit of coasting. First, she's like, the worst thing that could have happened to you already happened. Trying to kind of like help Sarah rationalize. But then she's also like trying to be funny. She's like, how do you give a lemon an orgasm? You tickle it citrus. (laughs) (laughs) Right? She hits all the checks trying to get Sarah to feel better. Eventually, she gets Sarah uncaught, confident enough to move. But then we hear a shift in the rock. I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like the ending. Mm-hmm. Oh, as Swift. Taylor Swift says. Yes. She so wisely says. Very as above, so below. Mm-hmm. The cave begins to crumble. They are army crawling their way out. There's a fade to black. We get another birthday cake scene of Jessica blowing out her candles. Sarah wakes up, and they're all coughing. It's very dusty in the cave. They are now trapped on the other side of where they were crawling out. Mm. And not only are they trapped, they left the rope bag that has all of the ropes that they used to repel the 100 yards down into the darkness in the cave because it was behind Sarah and it did not make it out with her. And you could have just had a bunch of mimosas. That's all you could have done. You could have just sat by a freaking pool and had a bunch of mimosas. But now you had to fucking spelunk. So people are calm at first, surprisingly. I thought this was really admirable. Everyone's like, it's okay. There's going to be other ways out. They trust that they are in this well-explored cave system that is ready to have tourists come visit. However, when they start asking Juno questions, she gets really quiet and eventually admits that they are not in the cave system that she said they were going to. They're in a new, unexplored cave system for which she left the map in the car. I would murder her on the spot. There must not even be a map. No, she literally says she wanted them to be the first to discover it so that they could like name it after themselves. Oh my God. How fucking narcissistic could you be? Oh, it's so dangerous and terrifying. But Beth calls Juno out for this. She's like, you're being selfish. We trusted you. We were Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing something good for Sarah. And you're just trying to make up for it because you couldn't get away fast enough last year. So, okay, all the shit is hitting the fan. What is going on? Uh Uh-huh. 
They clear a path in a different cavern and discover a large gap in the ground. So the ground that they are staying on, there is a very, very deep hole and then another set of ground. (laughs) They don't have a rope bag because it was then trapped in the collapsed cavern. So is it Becca? Yes, it's Becca. It gets dark down there. There's something about her that looks like Laura Dern. I keep wanting to call her Laura Dern. (laughs) (laughs) Young Laura Dern. (laughs) Yeah, so Laura Dern begins fucking American Ninja Warrior-ing her way across the fucking ceiling of this cave. Like, okay, first of all, they've done a lot to establish that these caves are wet and dripping (laughs) all the time. And she is just with her bare hands, just grabbing rocks, hoping they hold her body weight and just monkey barring across the fucking roof of this. And like one arm trying to attach these clamps. I'm like, how much upper body strength do you fucking have? This scene is iconic. But as she's making her way across the cave ceiling, she encounters old climbing equipment in the ceiling, which... Oh, you know, I love this shit. Oh, yeah. But it's also so scary and ominous. So she eventually has to clip her thing to this old equipment that's in the ceiling. It holds good news. She's able to have the rope from the other side. Everyone's able to move across the rope to the other side. And they kind of stop, process. But before everyone's to the other side, Juno and Sarah are the only two left on the first side before they cross over. And Sarah asks Juno, was this about me or you? Mm. (gasps) And Juno explains, again, she thought claiming these caves could bring them back together and that maybe they could name the system after Sarah. And Sarah just responds, or you, as if to say, I know your game. I know that you have selfish intentions here, which motivated you to manipulate us all down here. So Sarah crosses Juno as the last one and she kisses her pendant necklace before she makes her way across. And she seems to be salvaging the equipment in the ceiling as she goes. Like Becca was clipping things in to get across. Now Juno is trying to unclip things as she goes so they can use that equipment for later and they're not just leaving it behind. She falls... And even though her friends are holding the rope, Becca gets really, really bad rope burn on her freaking hands for where the rope was moving through her hands. But they're able to pull her back up and now they're all across to the other side. Juno then confirms that the equipment they found is over 100 years old. And I'm like, were people traversing caves for funsies 100 years ago? Oh, yeah. Bitches in the the 1910s were fucking crazy, dude. I guess so. They were doing all kinds of things. There's a lot of like stories about like ship voyages in the 1900s to like Antarctica. Like that was a really popular time for Antarctica. Everybody wanted to get a piece. So I'm sure if people were sailing ships to crazy places, they were exploring crazy caves. Either way, because of this equipment, Beth's like, hey, that's good. That means there were people here. And Juno says it's bad because if the people that were here made it out, (laughs) the cave would have been named. (laughs) So Thanks, Juno. They come across some cave portraits and they use these portraits to surmise that there are two exits. So that's kind of giving them a map of like, okay, where do we go from here? And this is our first appearance of the creatures. We see that they are being watched from afar and we hear some growling. Juno does this really cool thing where she flicks a lighter on and that will show her if there is a breeze coming from any direction. So when she feels that there is a breeze coming from one of the caverns, Holly goes fucking barreling down the first cavern face first, like is not looking where she's walking and she ends up falling down a fucking hole and gets a cute little compound fracture on the way down. Oh my god, it's awful. They rappel down after her. But again, Sarah hears more giggling and wanders off again. She's always wandering off. Mm -hmm. As they splint Holly's leg, 
pushing the fucking bone back into her leg. It's gnarly as hell. Sarah begins to discover, was it like a helmet? Yeah. Old things that belonged to people. Now, and then this is the first visual we get of the creature. She hears some growling and looks with her headlamp and sees that there is a creature crawling through her helmet light on all fours. And it looks a lot like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. The creature is drinking water before it scampers off in the light of Sarah's headlight. Before she can show anyone or confirm with anyone that the creature was there, they are all trying to convince her that she's wrong. She doesn't know what she's seeing. There's nothing down there in the caves. Because also Sarah thinks it's a person. Because even though it's kind of on all fours, it's very like humanoid. It's got two arms, two legs, and a head. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. But she thinks it could be somebody that could help them, which that would not be my first. Yeah. Like get that person away from me. Instead, she gets gaslit about seeing what she saw. Especially Juno. Yeah. Juno is main gaslighter here. They enter through a different cavern. I was like, we've entered the as above, so below stage of the day because there's a shit ton of bones everywhere. Mm-hmm. They think it's dead animals. We have now reached a point where there is no breeze coming from anywhere, so Juno does not know where to go. So they all panic at this point and begin screaming for help. And there is a point of view jump scare with a creature standing right behind Beth very ominously through the lens of Holly's infrared camera. this camera is used in really innovative ways i think that's why i said i remember telling you like it's half found footage a Mm. little bit in that way because they just use that point of view so fucking well it then goes crawling on the ceiling they hear more in the distance surrounding them and they all scatter (laughs) yeah and they're freaking out but the next thing you know the creature comes back and fucking bites Holly's neck. Rips her throat out. Yeah. It just totally gruesome. Everyone is scattered again or is still scattered from the original scare. But Juno fights with this creature to keep the creature from dragging Holly's body away in a very valiant fight. Like she will not give up Holly's body. She's fighting with the creature one-on-one. She's using weapons and things like that. Another creature appears. Juno is disoriented somehow, and the second creature is able to drag Holly's body away, and Juno is left to fight with the still present creature, and she is able to kill the creature. Honestly, she ends up killing so many creatures, I don't know how she does this one. Is it with the pick? It's with the pickaxe. <gasps> oh, yeah. I know how she does oh, it. Oh, yeah, because, uh-huh. She kills the creature with the freaking pickaxe, and then, oh my gosh, you say it. I can't say it. You can't bring yourself there. <laughs> She hears something behind her and out of instinct, and granted, like, she's in fight or flight right now. Like, I can't say I blame her too much, but she swings around with the pickaxe. Instead of hitting a creature, it's Beth standing behind her, and she pierces Beth through the throat with the pickaxe. Yeah, from back to front. The look on Beth's face is just like, fuck. And Juno is like, fuck. Beth, I guess, is lowered to the ground and is still alive, Of course, this is a very much mortal wound, but she's still alive and you can tell with her eyes is like, help me, help me, don't go. And Juno just looks at her and then staggers away back to find the other. She totally fucking leaves her. Juno does look like she's in shock. It doesn't look like it's like a menacing decision. But on the way down, Beth is able to grab Juno's necklace and rip it off of her neck, which will become important later. I guess we could say Juno is in shock, but it's interesting comparing her reaction to Holly's reaction where she was so unwilling to like let her go that it does feel like a heel turn in her character. Uh Especially Beth, we know, is probably one of Juno's oldest friends Mm -hmm. because she was a part of that original whitewater rafting montage. 
Sarah had ran down a hallway, slipped, and like hit her head <laughs> and knocked herself out again somehow. Sarah's She's always bit. having dreams. So she has <laughs> another dream about Jessica and birthday cake, but this time a creature is revealed to be Jessica, which is another big jump scare. Oof. She is now in possession of the camera somehow. She is looking through the lens because her headlamp doesn't work anymore, and she sees human bones through the lens. Then Holly's body is dropped down from a level above her. A bunch of crawlers descend upon the body and start devouring it right in front of her. All Sarah can do is just sit there and hold the camera as a way to try to see what's going on, but at the same time, hold her head back and not even look because of the gruesome event that's happening in front of her. And just a little during the plot trivia... (laughs) According to like some audio commentary on the special edition DVD, there was an extra replica made of Nora Jane Noon and she got to keep it after the movie was finished. Oh, like her prosthetic fucking Body. head. Yeah. And one time she left it in her mother's freezer as a joke. Oh my God. Which is so sinister, but I thought that was silly. That's such a good sense of humor. Yeah. That's funny for you. That's not funny for me. It's hilarious for me. That's so good. Are you kidding me? I would have it on display in my house. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sam and Becca continue their search. They now have green glow sticks looking very cool and spooky. They too learn from hiding and cuddling up in like a bit of a cavern that if they stay quiet, the creatures can't see them. There's a little jump scare because the fucking call me, beat me, if you want to reach me watch goes off. They end up throwing the watch as a distraction. It ends up working. And as they lay there, they hear Juno screaming. I wrote, Juno is not in the know, and Becca and Sam do not care. (laughs) They, because one of them's like, oh my God, she's going to get herself killed by screaming. And one of them's like, as long as it's not me, I don't care. Like, they are all done with Juno's shit because they wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for her. Sarah is looking around, discovering more artifacts. And with those artifacts, she finds a knife. She hears Juno screaming for her. Juno then stays quiet after seeing a creature, gets the picture. Okay, we got to stay quiet. But Sarah shreds some bandages off of Holly's body. She looks like she's really sad to do it, but she uses those cloths to make a torch. Meanwhile, Becca and Sam are having their own battle with a creature that swings down very haunted house style, very Bob style in Halloween. Yeah, like he's on the monkey bars. Yeah, like he's on the monkey bars and he's like, (laughs) boo! But Juno ends up saving one of them after she was attacked, and those three are now reconvened. Juno tells them that she saw some markings on the walls, which she did when she was off by herself, Mm -hmm. and that she thinks that that is a path to the way out, but she refuses to leave Sarah. And again, I'm like, what kind of friend are we? Because one moment, we are refusing to let the crawlers take your friend's dead body, like she was going to be gone anyway. The next moment, you're killing your friend and leaving her for dead and not at least finishing her off. And the next moment, you're like, I won't leave without her. I'm like, pick a lane. Yeah. Like, pick a lane, Juno. It's very inconsistent. Yeah. Sarah, now on her own with the torch, finds a still-living Beth. Beth starts talking to Sarah. I mean, as much as she can, she's barely getting her words out, of course, with her wound. But she's saying, she did this to me. Don't trust her. I don't even know if she says her name. Sarah, at first, I think, thinks that Beth is just having delusions as she lays here dying with her mortal wound. I think Sarah says, I'm going to go get Juno. And Beth is like, don't trust her. She did this to me. She hands her Juno's pendant and Sarah takes it in her hand, turns it over and sees that love each day. The saying that Paul used to say all the time is inscribed on the back of the pendant. 
this is confirming that Juno and Paul were having an affair. And Beth says that she's sorry. Sarah now knows. And she asks Sarah to finish her off, essentially, to euthanize her because she will not survive these wounds. And she does. She smashes her head in with a rock. That was my question, though, because obviously we saw that knowing look from Beth earlier in the movie, but that's what I want to know. Was it like an open secret to everybody but Sarah that Juno was fucking Paul? Or was it just that Beth knew? Well, Holly's new. (laughs) Yeah, Holly has no skin in this game. I'm kind of thinking about this friend. Like, it seems like Beth, Juno, and Sarah are like the core three. Yes. And then maybe like through Beth, Beth knows Sam and Becca. Right. And then they come around sometimes. So they're not like in the know, but they're like in orbit. So I feel like maybe Beth is the only one who knows. Like Juno swore Beth to secrecy or something. Or Beth just figured it out on her own, but never confirmed it. So never said anything. Or maybe like she was about to, like maybe that night the hotel, Uh they were going to have some drinks at the hotel bar, but then Paul died. Yeah. So when were you ever going to bring it up and why was it worth bringing up? It's like she knew to grab that necklace though. Yeah. That's my thought. Like, I never knew if the sorry was, sorry I knew and didn't tell you, or sorry that this happened. Mm -hmm. She knew what she was giving Sarah. Yeah. So she must have had that in mind. Well, that also kind of brings me back to why did Juno leave her? Did Juno know that she knew? Did Juno just think better off gone? And like, like, what is the reason for her being so insistent on not leaving without Sarah? I don't know. Sarah leaves now a confirmed dead Beth behind. She's very upset, obviously. Then like a baby creature jumps on her back. So it was a baby. Yeah, it was like a baby, which Sarah promptly kills. But then Mm. mommy comes around, sees her dead baby, wails a cry of pain and comes after Sarah. I loved kind of getting like mother and child creatures. Yeah, I like society. It is. It is. It's like a whole colony. And it is interesting because that creature and Sarah have shared the same experience. Mm, My gosh. Yes. Oh, Oh, that's so sad. So now it's mom against mom. Yeah, but Sarah instead runs off and falls into a pool of blood. Oh, so gross. There is a water fight because, of course, there is a creature in the blood bath. Sarah kills it. It sinks off. She kills another one. Like, there's just a lot of bludgeoning and killing these creatures. I guess they're vitamin C deficient or vitamin D deficient because they don't get much sun. I don't know how, like, these girls are really withstanding these guys because they're all very tall. Yeah. Also, I guess malnourished. I guess they don't get a lot of people down there in an unnamed cavern that often. Well, I mean, who says it later? Like somebody mentions that these creatures are adapted perfectly to live in these conditions. Maybe they're not used to their prey fighting back as much. Well, Juno had said something along the lines of they have to go to the surface to eat because people don't come down here. So that means there must be a way out. Yeah. She essentially bludgeons one of them to death. And then because I feel as though she is feeling deranged, she screams, which alerts the other three to her location. Juno goes to find her, but then there's a whole fucking pack of creatures. Oh, yeah. And then they get split up again. Yes. Meanwhile, Sam has reached that initial passage where there's a break in the passage because of a large hole in the center where they had gone across the ceiling initially. She is back at that initial area and starts trying to move across the top of the cave. But then Becca and Juno reconvene and start yelling at her to come back. I don't really know why. Is it because she needs the rope? Like, is she just going across herself and has left them? Or is it because it's dangerous for her to be doing this? I think they don't have enough rope. And Mm -hmm. Juno knows they don't have enough rope. So it's like, oh, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. 
they just don't want her to hurt herself. But then a creature is crawling on the ceiling and fucking rips her throat out. On the way down, she's able to stab him in the heart so that he at least goes plummeting to the ground. And it's water underneath. Yeah, but Sam's body is left hanging there. And that is put to interesting use in the second movie. Ugh. Ew. I think I know how. Yes. Because I was wondering if it was going to happen. Is it as a swing? Yeah. Okay, because I was honestly thinking that they were going to do that. From what I remember, it's one of those things where somebody's hanging and there's like a shit ton of creatures and they like cut their own rope so that they take the creatures down with them. Oh, it's like that scene in The Day After Tomorrow with the ice. You remember that? Oh, yes, I know when they're hanging yeah. above like the shopping yep. mall. Yep, yep. Oh, and they go through I the know glass. The Day After Tomorrow. Yes. I don't know why. My brother used to be obsessed with that movie and I have Probably seen- Probably John Hall. You know what? Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, yes, that's correct. I wish I could go back and watch that movie with new eyes. I was too busy being scared. Is that something we would ever cover for this? Seriously? I know we It's more like environmental thriller, but like we could. The antagonist is the weather. True. And wolves sometimes. (laughs) No, that movie is terrifying. I will watch it when it's on. You know what I mean? Emmy Rossum's in it. I like her a lot. Yeah, Emmy Rossum is in it. Well, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Add it to the list of movies that traumatized me. Yeah. So now Sam is gone. So now we have three dead, three still living. Becca and Juno are together. Right after Sam dies, a creature comes and attacks Becca, gets at her throat, starts eating at her gut. Like she is experiencing these mortal wounds. But Juno, kind of again in her like flight option, jumps into the water, leaving Becca. Like she leaves before Becca is definitely dead. Like she doesn't try to... Again, inconsistent with the like, I'm going to save you versus I'm not. And I don't really understand why, because I think there was only one creature. Like she could have fought it off, but she just decided to escape. Yeah. So Juno is in the water... It turns out the stabbed creature that Sam had sent into the water before she died is still alive, wakes up and tries to get at Juno, but Juno kills it successfully again. And as she's trying to pull herself out of the water, encounters Sarah, who pulls her into a landing and starts asking her about the others. Juno confirms that they're the only two left. Beth is dead. Sarah asks her to confirm if she saw Beth die. And Juno says, yes, liar. And Sarah nods, but we know that she knows. Takes Juno with her into the next leg of this journey where they encounter more creatures. Them and their endless supply of flares traverse more caves. I'm like, where are these flares coming from? Like, you've fallen in water. You've lost your bags. I'm like, where are these flares coming from? But they always got flares. They always got flares. This is a great fight sequence. Oh, yeah. They are taking no prisoners. They're killing everybody in very innovative ways. I wrote, this fight has everything. (laughs) Throat ripping, (laughs) eye gouging, knee smashing, wrestling, pickaxing. It's incredible. Like, it's just... (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, that skit from SNL. I am Bill Hader. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So they're all dead. And now it's just Juno and Sarah. And Sarah isn't really saying anything. She is just holding her pick in one hand and the pendant that Beth gave her in the other, showing Juno without words that she knows. They hear more creatures screech in the distance, which distracts Juno. But Sarah uses this opportunity to take out Juno's knee with the pickaxe and leave her for dead as she runs for the surface. And I feel like this is a conflicting moment. I love it Mm -hmm. because it's like 
you have to think about that reasoning. Okay, like you were having an affair with my dead husband and you lied to me about it forever. And also like you killed Beth and like left her to die. But like Juno was so loyal to Sarah and getting her out of there. But we know that's probably operating out of a place of guilt more than anything else. Mm. So it's like really interesting as to like how primal was that reaction? Because they're in an environment where like society doesn't exist. There's no rules. It's also really smart because she doesn't kill Juno. First of all, she leaves her to be victim to what the situation she got them all in in the first place. But second of all, she knows that Juno is going to fight, which is going to get her more time to get out into the surface. So it's kind of like an insurance policy, Mm -hmm. which is deviant. But at the same time, it means survival. Admirable. So she ends up falling again. Again, this is just like one fall too many for me, for Sarah. (laughs) One hole too many. Yeah, seriously. She ends up falling. We can see time elapsing just based on the light change on Sarah's face. Some time has passed. She wakes up and she's able to crawl herself out by crawling up like a hill of bones, so many bones up and busting her way through a small hole at the top in a very carry moment. She looks like a zombie. Yeah, now she's literally like breaking out of the ground. And if the caves are a vagina, ooh, this is like a birthing moment. It's crowning, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. she's crowning. <laughs> she runs down the side of the mountain, finds her way back to the car. I'm also wondering like how do you know where the car is parked? Because obviously you're parked where you entered the cave. How do you know where you exited the cave is no longer where you entered the cave? Yeah. And she fucking books it down the mountain side road. I have the same question for the movie we're covering next week, too. It's like, how do you know the location of your vehicle at this point? Yes. Yeah. And I would never know because I don't really know, even when I should, where my car is. So anyway, she books it down the mountainside. She's driving very recklessly. Obviously, she's still covered in blood. She looks like a sight to be seen. She pauses only to pull over and cry, which I appreciate. And vomit. And vomit, yes. And she's kind of brought back to reality when a truck drives by and honks at her for no reason. She's pulled over. I guess she should have her four ways on, which she doesn't. (laughs) Road safety. As she gathers herself a little bit, she looks over beside her and sees a dead, bloody Juno appearing in the passenger seat. She screams and the movie's over. But that's not the best ending. Apparently not, which I'm learning today. (laughs) So yeah, listen to this. Shit. So the original ending, this is from Rachel Handler's Vulture article, How the Descent Ended Up with Two Famously Bleak Endings. Basically, we just watched Sarah stab Juno in the leg and leave her to die. As she escapes, gets in her car, encounters a ghostly apparition of Juno. But according to this article, the original ending did not end there. After this moment, Sarah wakes back up in the cave system. Quote, the final indelible shot shows a feral Sarah completely dissociating, hallucinating a vision of her dead daughter sitting in front of a birthday cake as the cave people close in on her. This was the ending that was shown to audiences around the globe during the Descent's initial 2005 release. But when it came time to screen the film in the U.S. in 2006, Lionsgate asked Marshall if they could lighten things up a bit by chopping off the scene showing Sarah trapped eternally in the cave and instead make it seem like she did, in fact, escape. As a result, the American ending is far less interesting and, depending on your perspective, not even necessarily happier. Sarah sees Juno in the car, vomits from the trauma, and then we get a brief shot from her above, bloody and screaming. It just doesn't make sense because 
spoiler alert in the sequel Juno is alive yeah I did read that in a summary and I was like no thanks so the fact that she would be seeing Juno would suggest that it's like the ghost of Juno and that's not the case and granted if you've never seen the sequel like Juno is dead by all intents and purposes that's the thing in the original's ending we wouldn't be getting a sequel because the original's ending allows for there to be a sequel because Sarah got out But I think the ending with her and like the birthday cake, like if you've seen it, like the imagery is just like so haunting, but it still leaves room for Sarah to live. It's not like she's completely dead. She's just being surrounded in the same way that we last time we see Juno, she's being descended upon, but she's not dead. We just hear her screaming. Yeah, I guess it makes Sarah's survival more obvious, which I think is what they thought was more lighthearted. But I agree. I think it's just as bleak. It's like in one way she's trapped in the caves and another way now she is haunted with grief and guilt over one more death. She's again like the only survivor of a tragedy. Which like fucking sucks. Exactly. Her entire support system is eviscerated. So I found a little bit too on the title's meaning, The Descent. This is from Baths Crawlers and the dual meaning behind The Descent written for Butcher Block by Megan Navarro. Quote, above all, the opening sets up the dual nature of the film's title. Physically, these six women are descending into a cave toward their doom. Metaphorically, it's Sarah's descending into madness. The central plot is set one year after her heart-wrenching loss, and her friends coax her into the trip as a means of healing. She's distant and aloof, a clear sign that she's still in a fragile state of mind. Juno's appetite for adventure leading the group into an unexplored and unknown cave system becomes the inciting event when the cave collapses. Group tensions rise while the viewer sees glimpses of something lurking in the background. Once the first member falls, it quickly becomes an epic brawl for survival against the crawlers. A different article by Sven Mikulik, author of Neil Marshall's The Descent, Humans Are the Scariest Things, also agrees that the film's double meaning is this literal descent versus Sarah's psychological one. However, he contends a third possible meaning when he says, quote, the third possible meaning is perhaps the least obvious. As the story progresses, it becomes clear that the creatures are members of the humankind that simply never left the caves, which Marshall efficiently hints at by showing us a series of wall paintings in one of the caves. The six heroines, therefore, descend down the evolutionary scale all the way to the ancient times when cave dwelling was our way of life. It's giving the hills have eyes. Yeah! Yeah. Just in terms of how primal they feel. That's the thing. All they're, all they're doing is hunting. Like they think they're the apex predators. I don't think they see themselves as human or humanoid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same thing almost. I don't know. Like again, why would you be there? I wouldn't be there because I wouldn't be friends with Juno. No, it's none of my business. It's nope. none of my business. And this is kind of like getting into the conversation we're going to be having next week, which is like, mm, do you really need to explore everything, every place? The answer is no. No, just go home. <laughs> <laughs> Stay home. Like, please. You can make the argument, danger is everywhere. You never know. But there are also decisions that you can actively make that put you in an immense amount of danger versus just... 100% of the people that die by skydiving chose to skydive. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. Come on. So you won't catch me spelunking for my fucking bachelorette. That's for fucking sure. Absolutely not. Or even on a girls weekend. If you asked that of me, you would never ask that of me. And that's why we are friends. That's why we are friends. (laughs) That's why we are friends because you would never (laughs) ask that of me. And no one would even ask me. I don't think I have any friends like this. And when you get to be our age, you don't have friends who want to go spelunking when you don't. You know what I mean? No, we have we have <laughs> elements of self-preservation. We value our lives and that's it. That's it. 
I also have just one final bit on kind of some of the cool feminist elements of this film. This is also from the McCulloch article. He writes, quote, It's great to see a horror film that doesn't degrade itself with cardboard cutouts of female characters. The central protagonists of Sarah and Juno are developed with insight and care, which means that we get people made of flesh, bones, and brains. This makes it easier for us to connect, sympathize, and become absorbed in the narrative. Marshall knew exactly what he was doing. Quote, As a member of the audience, I've always liked seeing strong women represented in movies. It's not about the strength of the body, but about strength of mind and will. He explains in another interview, quote, I've had my fair share of creative squabbles with the powers that be over the integrity of my female characters. By way of examples, one such difference of opinion revolved around whether my entire female cast should randomly strip off and go for a swim at a particularly unwise moment in the story. The producers wanted this in the movie. I argued that it made no sense for the characters, the story, or the film, and in the end, they backed down. It's notable that during the making of Centurion, when all the male cast members were required to jump into a river, nobody suggested they should all get naked first. End quote. In the hands of a lesser filmmaker, more willing to compromise his vision for cheap popularity points, we might have gotten a lot less of Ellen Ripley oh, and a lot more of logically impaired shots of naked breasts. And I do like that because the only like kind of suggestive tension that we get is between Holly and Sam or Becca. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very tastefully done, in my opinion. Like, you can tell there's shit going on, but it's not sexualized and it's not overdone. Like, it truly is about the relationships between women. And the movies that we've really lifted up that have done that have been directed by women. So Mm -hmm. it's really refreshing to see a male director who wasn't willing to compromise, like, what he wanted his story to be about for what would sell more in that way. You know what I mean? And in that example, like, standing up for a specific vision, like, no. I want my women to be characters. Obviously, there are so many scares in this movie, but none of them were because of like the main character's naked bodies. You know what I mean? Or women being women and being hysterical. Like literally everything is appropriately reacted to because it's terrifying, you know? Yes. This, I think, was a really good movie. Really Mm heart-wrenching. Definitely heavy as fuck. But definitely worth a watch and I can see why it's in your top five. It's literally like I forgot how much I loved this movie (laughs) for a while. I mean, even the sequel, I don't think it's great, but I think it's, I don't know, like these creatures too are just like scary looking and Mm -hmm. they're nothing you want to run into in the dark. They're like buff golems. They're terrifying. Like bats were humans. And they got pointed ears and everything too. And anything that can like sense its way through the dark, which is one of our greatest deficits as humans. It's really scary. I mean, that would probably be my weakness down there if I can't see where I'm going. Like, I, yeah, I would roll an ankle so damn fast. I would be done. I would be out. But yeah, that was the descent. So next week, we are going for another environmental kind of spelunking movie. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Uh-huh. Some more rappelling. Lots more ropes. Oh, God. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm over the ropes. I'm You're on the ropes. ropes. I'm on the ropes. I'm on the ropes. I'm on the ropes, ropes. about the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> But if you want to keep up with us with this journey, this month of April environmental journey, definitely follow us on Instagram at the Horrors Podcast. And or feel free to email us if you ever want to get in touch at the Horrors Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're the Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.